uh, as we look at um, a church today uh, who had a reputation for being alive but was dead. Uh, if you remember over the last uh, uh, over the last few weeks, if you happen to be new here, uh, we talked about Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 at the beginning. Uh, we've been looking at Christ's last words uh, to the church, and he said basically to the Ephesian church, you've lost that loving feeling. Uh, you, um, your, your doctrine is pure, you serve, but you've forgotten why you do it. You do it because you love me, and that's what he said. He says, but I have this against you that you've left your first love. And we want to make sure that we always stay in love with Christ and we realize that whatever we do uh, for uh, the church or for Christ, is we do it because we love him, because he first loved us. Uh, then we looked at Smyrna. Uh, Smyrna was that suffering church, and they were faithful to the end. They were faithful to serve God to the end and for the end. They were the suffering church. Um, and uh, we talked about, man, there, there are times that uh, uh, people, even in our midst, just suffer. It seems like some people just are constantly blessed and some people are constantly persecuted and they're suffering and they're struggling. And that was the church of Smyrna. Uh, that was just their lot in life is that they were, they were a suffering church. But if that's who we are and what we're going to be, uh, we want to stay faithful to Christ. Um, we want to always look up to God and just hold on. And we looked at the Pergamon church and we talked about uh, they were confused. Uh, about between the teaching of the world and the teaching of Christ, how they should live uh, in the world but be separate from the world. And so they were really a confused church. They were a church that was on a slippery slope uh, down here, hill. Then we looked at uh, Thyatira. And um, when we looked at Thyatira last week, it was the longest uh, message. And they were a tolerant church. Uh, they, uh, they were the Burger King church. Anyone that came in, uh, believe what you want, do what you want, kind of the Burger King church. Have it your way. And we looked at that. And today we look at a church uh, that, um, that Christ, and this is always Christ, this Christ's last words to the church, and as well as to Christians. We're looking, if you're jumping in today or uh, you're beginning to hear, Christ is speaking to seven literal churches. They are physical churches of that day. Uh, in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, uh, but they probably represent all churches uh, in all seasons and all times, not just those particular churches that have uh, those things that he gives them commendations for. He says, that a boy, uh, y'all are doing this well, you're doing this well, you're doing this well. But then he also says, but you really need to get better at this because the truth is there are no perfect churches, uh, there are no perfect people. But not only are these probably pretty symbolic, uh, well, they're not symbolic, uh, they're physical churches, literal churches. They were probably pretty accurately represented of uh, of the seven not only kinds of churches there are, but also seven kinds of Christians. And if you remember, even each one of these, when uh, some of these churches we've seen uh, we've seen that that the vast majority of the church is faithful and walking, but there were a few that weren't. Uh, then we've also seen a church that the vast majority of the church is unfaithful and walking the wrong way, but there were a few that weren't unfaithful, and that's what we're going to see today. Uh, that that the the majority of the church had drifted, but there were always some who'd remained faithful. And so we always want to be that faithful remnant. We want to walk uh, together uh, with Christ. So let me, uh, let me open us in prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll look at this church today. 
Father, thank you so much for this day, and thank you for uh, your grace in our lives as we look at this church today. Uh, let us hear what you want us to hear and see what you want us to see, and uh, let us be faithful to you uh, in all that we do. And so, God, we just love you, and thank you for um, your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How many of you know what an oxymoron is? Oxymoron. Anybody know what, what's an oxymoron? Somebody tell me what an oxymoron is. Give me, your, give me an example. Military intelligence. All right, that's spoken like a military guy, huh? A jumbo shrimp. There you go. A jumbo shrimp. A good attorney. All right. That's a man who's lost a lawsuit. What else? Uh, oxymoron. What's an oxymoron? We've got... A Dodge Ram. Okay, good Lord. All right. It's 0 for 2. I say don't swing again. Um, what else? What else? An oxymoron. Hell's Angel, right? That's kind of an oxymoron. You got a Hell's Angel. What else? Oxymoron. Huh? A dumb ox. That's just a moron. So... Uh, what else? Uh, oxymoron. Anybody got one? Yes, guys, it is okay to have fun in God's house. Uh, let's see. Um, what? I had some list. Microsoft Works. Someone should put that up there. Uh, let's see. Uh, a deafening silence. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Here was another one. Uh, they were found missing. You've heard people say that. Liquid gas. Liquid gas. Seems like an oxymoron. That's seriously funny. That seems a bit like an oxymoron. That's two words that don't seem to go together. Uh, they were found alone together. Uh, someone says, hey, just act naturally. You're like, okay, well, that's kind of acting. Or are we going to be natural? Um, that's kind of an open secret. That's an oxymoron. Uh, anybody ever said this? Uh, you tear something apart and say, hey, you want the larger half? Well, if it's half, it's not larger, right? Uh, let's see. Um, what about uh, this? Uh, we say this on, about Chuck a lot in here. Chuck is clearly confused. Kind of an oxymoron, right? It's clear. Uh, he is clearly confused. Uh, let's see. I don't. I don't know. Don't don't mean any disrespect with this one, but uh, one was called somebody submitted a civil engineer. A civil engineer is an oxymoron. You know, those are all oxymorons. But I, I'll, I'll submit to you that the uh, uh, probably the biggest uh, oxymoron there ought to ever be uh, in uh, in Christendom is the idea of a dead church. A dead church. If it's a church, it should be anything but dead. It should be always on the move, always acting, always showing a living faith. And so uh, when we come to this church uh, that we see in Revelation chapter 3, uh, Christ says, and we're going to read this here in a few seconds, it has a reputation for being alive, but it's dead. It has a reputation for being alive, but it's dead. And really what, what, what Christ is saying there, and we're going we're gonna to go into uh, uh, more of it here in a second. He says, you know, probably you can look back over your past and you've built a reputation in the past 
of being a good church, but you're living in the past. Your reputation still says we are the first church of, but the reality is different. The reputation is there. The history is there. The past is there, but the reality of today is it's not there. And, you know, if, if, if the idea of a dead church is an oxymoron, the idea of a dead Christian is also an oxymoron. A Christian who shows no evidence of faith, no evidence of walk, no evidence of, uh, of fruit in their life, and no fruit of the Spirit, no fruit of, uh, uh, of sharing their faith and, and serving the church and serving Christ and doing something, that is a dead Christian. And so that, according to Scripture, is an oxymoron. And so we never want to be, I can tell you, as a pastor uh, and as a staff, our greatest desire is that we would never be a dead church. As a matter of fact, we might work you to death, but we're not going to let you die a slow death, all right? We're not going to crockpot you to death, all right? We might kill you and wear you out. Because we're always looking for something else to do to minister to the community. We're going to give you something else to give to, something else to pray about, somewhere else to go. We're always going to be about that because we never want to be a dead church. We never want to look back and say our best days were behind us or our greatest days were behind us or, man, wasn't that great. And I think that's where we always want to be careful. Nor do we as an individual believer ever want to look back and say, man, you remember when, you remember when, you remember when. And we always want to be Stay faithful and, and stay faithful and alive today. We want to be as passionate as we can uh, today. So let's read Revelation chapter 3. Remember, this is Christ speaking. He says, To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, verse 1, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, all right? The complete spirit of God. This is Jesus walking through the churches, seven literal churches that are also figurative churches even of today, which are also real Christians. He says, I know your deeds and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. He says, wake up, all right? Wake up. Uh, so maybe that's the only two. Uh, that's the only message that some people in here need to hear today is wake up, all right? Just stop sleeping. Stop sleeping. Wake up, he says. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Now, let me just stop you right there. He says, wake up. Keep alive what remains because your work is unfinished. I will just tell you, if you're in your 20s, your work's unfinished for God. If you're in your 30s, your work's unfinished for God. If you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, your work is unfinished for God. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? Well, are you breathing today? All right? If you've got breath today, God has something for you to do. We always need to understand that our work here on this earth isn't finished until we take that last breath. As a church, our work in this community will never be finished. It will never uh, be over. There will always be something else that we can do. And so notice as we go on, he says, Wake up, strengthen what remains, and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. He says, Remember, therefore, we've seen that several times. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, and hold fast to it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, 
and you will not know what time will come. I will come to you. He goes, you have a few people in Sardis. Now, there's always a few, remember? Remember, there's always a few. We, uh, in, in the really good churches that we saw, he said there are a few that, vent- that have ventured off the path. Now we've got a church in general that, that the path has been towards death, but there are always a few. And that's the beautiful thing. And so always at least be uh, uh, part, of the, part of the few that remain faithful or part of the pack that are, are faithful to God. He goes, yet there are a few people in Sardis who have not sold their clothes. They walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. And the one who is victorious will, he says, like them be dressed in white. And he goes, I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge, that's the same word, confess, I will acknowledge or confess that name before my Father and His angels. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Whoever has the ears to hear. So here's my encouragement to you today, is let's have ears to hear as a church what Christ says to us today, that our work on this earth is never, never, never done. Our work as a, as, a, as a church is never done. Our work as Christians, uh, it's never done. So let's go back to verse 1. Let's just begin to walk through it. We want to do what we did, have done every week. He says, verse 1, the character of the one is talking. What is the character? He says, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God, the complete spirit of God, uh, and the seven stars. The seven stars, if you go back to Revelation chapter 1, they're the churches. He's talking about these churches are supposed to be stars. Uh, our church is supposed to be a bright light uh, in a dark night. We're, to, we're supposed to be a, a, a city set on a hill, a, a candle in a dark room. That's what we're supposed to be. And Christ says, I hold these churches. I am uh, about these churches. And he goes, I have the spirit of God. And we want the Spirit of God uh, to flow, flow freely through our church and through the people in our church that they can serve and they can lead people to Christ just like Shane shared earlier. That's what we want is the Spirit of God uh, to flow through us uh, uh, completely. If you think about that Spirit of God, it goes all the way back to Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. He says, not by power, not by might, but by my Spirit says the Lord. We always want God's Spirit working through us and moving through us as a church in our worship and our ministry and our service and everything. So that's the character of the one who's speaking. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, who's sending the Spirit of God to believers and to the church, encouraging them to move on. He says, listen, I'm the one that holds the star, the church, in my hand. Now, uh, if you typically remember, in every one of these, there's a pattern uh, of a message from Christ to the church. It's always who's speaking, then he commends them. How many of you remember that? Every week he says, this is what you do well. All right. Now, it's kind of interesting. There's no commendation in this letter. He doesn't even go there. As a matter of fact, I've already pointed out the only good thing he says about this church. There are a few (laughs) Uh, that's the only thing about this church. He says, there are a few that have remained faithful. And we never want to be that church. We never want to be that kind of people. So here's his condemnation. He starts right in. Uh, look at it. He says in verse 1, he says, I know your deeds, that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. 
And he goes, you can look back over your past and you can see some things that you did well. You can look over the history of your church and you can see some things that you did well. As a matter of fact, uh, you, uh, you still turn the lights on on Sunday morning. Uh, your sign is uh, still out front that says First Church or something or other. He goes, uh, when you come in to worship, you all still sing songs. Uh, he goes, someone stands up and uh, shares a message. He goes, but when you look at the people, they're dead. They're, they're, they're dead. It, it, is a, it is a memorial service every Sunday to a reputation of a church and a congregation and a believer's who have had their best days behind them, who have just fallen asleep. And man, what an incredible thought is that you have a reputation. You've built a reputation. That means that at some time in their past, this church was alive, but they're currently dead. And, and man, what, an, what a dire warning that this church at some point in the past began to believe its own press clippings, began to look back at things in the past, uh, and think that was the best way, that was the way it should have been, that was the way it should have happened. Yeah. If you can't hear his question is, how long did it take them to get there? Well, uh, you figure if you just do um, Pentecost, let's just say, let's just use, use typical dating. Uh, Christ, uh, it's wrong, off by about four years, uh, by the way, just because when we look back and date it. Let's just say Christ was here uh, uh, and was crucified at 33, and that's not really when it happened. You had Pentecost that happened right after that. Uh, this letter is written in the 90s, all right? So you're talking 60 years. You know, could have been 60 years, 50 years, 55 years, but then you had to have a, a first or a second or a third missionary journey when the church was actually planted. So it's less than 50 years. Less than 50 years would be my, rec my, my thought. How long, his question is, how long did it take this church from going from having an incredible reputation to being nada? 50 years, less than 50 years. And we, we, can, we can think back. Uh, anybody, uh, you, my guess is we've, we've driven by churches that you're like, boy, you look at the buildings. At some point, they had something going on there, right? I mean, why else would you build such a big building? Why else would you uh, put up a nice sign? Why would it be there? You walk in and you see, wow, this is a big worship center. And then you go there on Sunday morning, you're like, huh, well, uh, there's no one here. And they clearly had a reputation in the past uh, for being alive. Uh, but the truth is he's dead. And it can happen in 50 years. It can happen in 40 years. It can happen in 30 years. And, and even for us as individuals, how quickly can it happen in our lives? Yeah. Yeah, one generation will do it. Yeah, one generation will do it. And um, that's exactly another reason we all, we, we constantly, you know, we, we talk about the sand volleyball courts and building a chapel for, um, for a lot of good reasons, small worship space, uh, weddings, certainly memorials in there. But we, we want to constantly be reaching that next generation. We, we always want to be reaching that next generation because uh, I look back over the 22 years that I've been here, 22 and a half years. Uh, as I look forward 22 and a half years, you're like, whoa, I hope we have uh, uh, some younger folks uh, coming in. And we always want to be about that. And guess what? Um, that means that um, when, when we're reaching youth, reaching young people, it's going to be loud. It's going to be different. It's going to be messy, right? 
and there are going to be some things that we don't like. I've raised kids in my own house. They do stuff I don't like, right? So if, if I'm going to reach somebody else's kids, I'm really not going to like it, right? So we constantly want to be aware of the fact that we can be this church like that. We can be this church just like that if we aren't careful. And I don't think anybody in this room wants it. But we can make decisions that lead us down that path if we aren't constantly looking to reach the next generation, a new generation. That's exactly right. Uh, if, you, if you can't hear him over there, he was saying that one of the things, and, and you look in the notes, you look in the history uh, here, is, is they lost focus. They begin to focus on the wrong things. And cer certainly we do that as well. Uh, we have a tendency, if we're not careful, we can focus on the wrong things, right? Uh, we like something. We like the way we used to do something. We like something different. I want to focus on this, and I don't want to focus on reaching the next generation or, 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 or seeing someone saved or reaching our community. I want to focus on the wrong thing. Yeah, Ron? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Ron's, Ron's saying, hey, it can even be worse than that. You go into Europe and you see these beautiful, magnificent facilities, and, and they stop focusing on the main thing. They stop focusing on the Word. And so I, I would just encourage you with that. that that's an incredible example, uh, Ron, and uh, uh, that we always want to constantly be in self-evaluation mode. Even in our own hearts, even our own minds as a pastor, as a staff, we want to constantly ask ourselves the question, are we focusing on the right things? Are we focusing on the right things? And, and, and the truth is, there is some slip that can take place with all of us, right? There is some slip. And what do we want, typically want to do? Oftentimes, we want to, we want to look back. When did I see God move in my generation? How did I see God move in my generation? And then we want to make sure that no one tries to do it any other day, any, any differently or in a different way or a different time or a different season. And we constantly want to be looking at how does God want to move today? How does God want to move in this next generation, in this new generation? And I always want to make sure that, man, I'm excited about it. It might not look like I want it to look. It may not act like I want it to act. It may not sound like I want it to sound. But if God is in it, and people are being reached, I want to be a part of it. I want to be part of it. That's the way we make sure that we don't just have a reputation of being alive, but we are actually alive, that we are reaching people for Christ. So uh, he says, uh, he basically gives them the condemnation. You have your reputation for being alive, but you're dead. So let's look at the correction. He actually gives them some steps uh, some thoughts on how do you get out? How do you get out of this? If, if you're in this, first of all, uh, it's pretty simple. He gives them some clear instructions. Uh, he gives them uh, a couple of really five directives. Directives number directive number one is wake up. All right. Uh, how many times have I just wanted to say that in my sermon? As I'm just looking over the congregation of believers who are sleeping and slumbering, wake up. 
You know, you ever said, wake up and smell the roses. Wake up, smell the coffee. Wake up. Man, that, that just start by waking up. Man, just be active. Be serving. Look up. Where can you be a part of what God is doing? I'll just tell you a classic example uh, that, that's coming up our way. Um, fall festival. Fall festival is coming our way. We're going to have five, 6,000 people. I will tell you what, more than any other, perhaps Christmas Eve or Easter, probably even more, there will be more lost people on our campus coming at fall festival. We give it away. We absolutely give it away. We struggle every year for people who are willing to just come serve an hour. Just come willing to give candy out. And I will tell you, none of the games are hard. Your instructions will take about five seconds. That's your game. Stand there. That's your bag of candy. Smile. Give it to the kids. There it is. Invite people back to church. That's, the, that's all it takes. But we struggle to get people that are willing to say, I'll do an hour. I'll do two hours. Uh, what typically ha has a tendency to happen here with Fall Festival, I'm, hopefully we'll change some of this this morning, is you got parents that were where I was 10 or 11 years ago whenever we first started, you know, when we were first doing it, where they've actually got four kids here, but we're asking them, all right, you come, let your wife walk around, let the man serve for an hour. But at the same time, we've got people like me, uh, like our staff. We don't have little kids that will be here. Man, we want to be the ones serving. Why? So moms and dads can come around and have a good experience. We can take a, a dark season of the year and, and turn it into a bright, fun season for the year. So I'm just going to encourage everybody in here, sign up for at least an hour. Man, bring your bride up here, man. She'll take over. You know how that thing is. If you'll volunteer, she'll do all the work. Amen. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We have a reputation for being alive, but we're dead, right? Just say, honey, I signed us up. She knows what that means. You signed her up, right? That means you signed her up. She's in. Man, anytime, hey, listen, anytime she can get you close to church, promise you, she's coming, right? She's going to bring you, bring with. So I want to encourage you, man, going through life groups, if you lead a life group, get your whole life group to come out here and serve. At last I heard, uh, we were about halfway there to volunteers. Isn't that a, we're, we're nearing halfway there toward volunteers. Uh, we just want to give out candy. There's nothing hard, but it's a great opportunity uh, to serve people. I will tell you, it's going to be a little more difficult for us as a church because typically if you've been here the last couple of years, we do it up front. Well, we've got to move it all around to the side, so we need lots of help. It's just, it, it's just always being on the front line saying, can I make a connection for the gospel? Can I offer something? So he says, first of all, he says, wake up. Uh, man, every time. The phrase wake up uh, is used in the New Testament. It contains the notion of God's people who are spiritually asleep. When we see those words throughout the New Testament, those words wake up, that Greek word, it's never talking about lost people. It's talking about saved people that need to wake up. They need to wake back up. They need to smell uh, the truth of God's Word and remember that their life and their ministry is about being on mission, constantly waking up, constantly waking up. Uh, you know, as I think about it, um, uh, if you want to really begin the process in your life of spiritual renewal, uh, you might want to do exactly what um, the psalmist did. If you look in the Psalm 139, 23, and 24, it says, Search me, O God. And know my heart, try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there is any harmful or hurtful way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. 
And, and so we, we sometimes want to step back and say, God, search my heart. Man, am I awake or have I fallen asleep? A- am I serving you? Am I actively serving you and worshiping you? So then he says, first of all, he says, wake up. Then he says, strengthen what remains but is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. All right. So he says, strengthen. He says, wake up. Now strengthen. What do we do? We strengthen what is, what is that remains, what remains, but is about to die. It's kind of like my grass. You ever walked out to your grass? You ever walked out to your lawn or something in your garden? And you're like, ooh, I should have taken better care of that. Anybody? That just me? Right? Said I should have taken. And you can look back and you can think, you know, Man, I, I wish I would have... I tell myself every year, listen, if I'll just walk out every week, pull four or five weeds out, it'll stay weeded, right? What do I do? I remind myself that I said that about three months later when I'm out there and it's a miserable experience, right? Uh, I need to water more. I need to water less. I need to fertilize more. I need to fertilize less. What do you do? You can't undo anything that has been done. All you can do is keep what is alive alive and strengthen it, right? I put fertilizer in it. I begin to serve. I begin to go. And so as we think about our lives, what do I do? If if what remains is about to die, all right, fertilize that, strengthen that, encourage that. Man, do something well. Take what is alive and strengthen that. Now, whatever's dead, prune it away. Get rid of it. Uh, Take it away. And there are constantly times within our church, with the ministry of our church, there are certain things that were incredibly effective 22 and a half years ago when I came to Old Fairview that just don't work anymore. For some reason, I don't know, maybe the people who are involved in it, the passion. And so what do we constantly want to do? We need to get rid of one thing. We need to add something new. That's called pruning and, and the process of growing and being faithful and reaching people in a different way, in a different season, in a different time. He says strengthen. So first is wake up. Then he says strengthen what remains. How do you do that? You strengthen by, if I'm going to strengthen myself, what am I going to do? I'm going to go work out, right? I'm going to jog. I'm going to run. I'm going to walk. I'm going to, physically, that's what I'm going to do. What am I going to do in the service to God? I, I'm, going to, I'm going to jog. I'm going to work. I'm going to serve. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to get new, nutrition. I'm going to get a Bible study, but then I'm going to work, right? That's how I get strong. He says strengthen yourself. Then he says this, remember, all right? Wake up. Get stronger. And remember, look at what he says. He says in verse 3, Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Remember, therefore, what you have received. He says, remember what you received and have heard. Now, if you look at the original Greek here, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I'm reading out of the NIV. It says, remember, therefore, what? I think the New American Standard says the same thing. But if you look at that Greek word that is translated what, the Greek word there is not what. It's how. It's how. So it really should be translated, remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. See, there's a difference between what and how. All right? Not talking about how Texas. There's a difference between what and how. We've already heard him talk, Christ talked to the churches a couple of times about maintaining and remembering what you've heard. Different Greek word. See, the what is our doctrine. 
The how is our practice. Do you understand what I'm saying? He says, maintain. He's told, he says, you've done a great job of maintaining what you've heard. But he says, remember how. How was it in the past? You were serving together. You were unified. You were loving. You were caring. You were constantly caring more about the lost than you were about the saints. You were constantly looking for an opportunity to reach someone else and reach out and serve someone. He says, that's what you've lost. He says, by and large, this church had not lost the doctrine. What they had lost was the practice. Why had they lost it? Because they had fallen asleep. They had, they had begun to rely on their reputation, not their action. In a church, now we don't want a church to be all action and no doctrine, nor do we want a church to be all doctrine and no action. So do you understand what I'm saying? There needs to be a strong balance. Uh, let me ask you, in your life, in your Christian walk, in your service, if this word of Christ is symbolic of, your, of not only the churches, all kinds of churches, but all kinds of Christians, in your life, in the last week, in the last two weeks, in the last three weeks, in the last month, in the last couple of years, have you spent more time talking about the what than doing the how? Have you spent more time talking, learning, studying the what than doing the how? See, because what won't lead my neighbor to Christ? What won't make us salt and light? What won't allow us to reach the next generation, the next person through the door. What is great, but what is worthless without the how? Does that make sense? What did Jesus say when he was about to depart from his disciples? What was his first words of the Great Commission? It was, sit and study. Remember that? The Great Commission? He says, sit and study, and if they show up, baptize them. Maybe the Father, Son, everybody, what was the first word? Guess what? If that was Jesus' first word of his last words, here to this church, whether it's 40 or 50 years later, his word to this church was, Go. His word to us today is go. My word to you is go. Yeah, good. All right. So let me ask you a question. How many of you, let's be honest, we're honest. No one's taking a picture. It's, it's on mic, so no one will see this all right, when they hear it online. How many of you have probably spent more time in the last year or two on the what than the how? It's time for more how. That's how we're going to reach our neighbor for Christ. That's how you're going to reach the guy at the office. Let's be a how church, all right? Let's don't be a church that had a reputation five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, of being a church on mission. Let us be that church today. And that's, I will just tell you, if you're wondering, is it ever going to stop? As long as I'm your pastor, there will always be another how. 
there will never will always be something else I want us to do. Why? Because the last thing I want is for me to stand someday and say, boy, you know, those first 20 years, you were cooking. You were ripping. Yeah, Shane. That's right. That's right. So notice um, uh, he says what? He says there's the how, the, the Greek word how, what. What We want to know what, but we also want to know how. Uh, you say, what does it mean? Uh, and look at it. You can see it up in verse 2. What does it mean? He says, for I have found your deeds unfinished in my sight. As that means as great and as good as God has been to this church. Our work's unfinished. As a church, how many of you believe that? Our work is unfinished. Okay, this half of the class is in. Y'all are in. I want, God's not done with us. But can I tell you this, and I want you to hear this. God's not done with you either. God is not done with you. Even if you look back over your life and say, man, if I had a do-over, I want you to know as your pastor, there, there, I can look back recently in the last couple of years or, or decade, there are some things that I would love a do-over that I wish I could have done better, that some decisions I wish I wouldn't have made for this church that I'm like, boy, you know, I had good reasons, but it just wasn't the best thing. I can guarantee you as a staff, we, we look back and go, but we thought we were doing the right thing, but that was the wrong thing. But here's the beauty. Here's, and this is absolute beauty. God ain't finished with us yet. And he's not finished with you either. So let's don't have a reputation for being alive, but be dead. Y'all in? We in? That's what we're about as a church. None of us ever want Christ to say this, to show up in heaven and say, Christ really says, good to have you. Kind of wasted that last 40 years, didn't you? Dude, you are an awesome Christian. We don't want Christ to look at us and say, you know, that last 40 years, you just kind of, you put the sails down. Just coast it in. Let's don't be that. Let's keep it rolling. So he says, man, let's keep, that's the key point. To every church, to every man, to every person. Then he says what? Hold fast. Keep hold. So what have we done? Wake up, strengthen. Um, wake up, strengthen, and remember. Remember that there's still things that we need to do. And then he says, hold fast. Boy, there, there it is. Uh, uh, if we keep your commands. I, I, love, I love what John says. He says, hold fast. Look at what uh, John says. Just listen to it. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. I love this. He says, we know what we have come to know. We've known him. But this is how we've come to know it. If we keep his commands. Those words, commands, by the way, his commands... That, that's not the big word. You know, in, in the Greek, there are two different words for commands. There's, there's one word for command that, uh, that, it, that would be like the Ten Commandments. You know, the Big Ten. How many of you know the Big Ten? Keep at least eight of them today. Uh, you know, the Big Ten. But there's another word, command, that has more to do with precepts or ways. Keep his ways. And that's that second word, command, there. He says, listen, this is how you've come to know, if you know Christ today, if you're on the way. 
if you're on the path, if you're living his precepts out, does that make sense? Not if I memorize the Ten Commandments. If I live out Christ's love today at the office, wherever I work, if I'm a part of it, that's how we've come to know him if we keep his commands. If we think we've come to know him, but we never are about sharing our faith, reaching uh, someone else for Christ, serving the church, ministering at the church, he says, you know something, and you have a reputation for being alive but you're dead. And then notice the last one. He says, repent. Here's the beauty. Now, a lot of times we don't like that word repent, but I want you to know that's a beautiful word. That word repent is a beautiful word because all it means is that today, if you want to change your recent past or a consistent past, you can change it today. See, repentance isn't a scary word. It's a great word. And by the way, this word repentance is the one we see throughout the New Testament that says a change of mind and a change of action. I'm going to stop heading in context into a deeper and deeper spiritual sleep. But I'm going to wake up and I'll be strengthened. I'm going to remember and I'm going to, I'm going to go. So that's the beauty of today. Today is an opportunity to repent. I'm not going to sleep anymore. I'm going to put my how, the practical righteousness, along with my what, the doctrinal purity. They're going to go together. So don't be afraid when you hear that word repent. Don't, don't be afraid. Now, I will tell you, when you look back at the other ones, uh, uh, hold fast, uh, uh, remember, strengthen, and wake up, if you look back to the other four, although this one's listed fifth, it's probably the one that has to happen first. It's like the first domino, all right? He's given us all of these uh, things, and he set all these dominoes up. The first one probably needs to repent. God, I acknowledge that I have not been faithful. I have not been willing to serve, to go, to be, to do. And it's primarily what he's talking about here is a church that no longer serves, that no longer does, that no longer reaches out. That's what he's talking about. The first thing is I want to repent of that and I want to start serving. Guess what? I'm going to sign up. I'm going to do something I don't want to do. I'm going to be a part of this. I'm going to give. I'm going to go. I'm going to do all of this. And this is probably what needs to happen first. If we will do this, just change our heart, change our mind, this word repentance has to do with a change of mind, mindset. What, 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 what's, what's a dead mindset? Oh, that, 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 that's not important. That's not good. You begin to talk about things that are done, and you, you don't like these youth, don't like this, don't like that. That's a change of mindset. Hey, if it's about reaching people, I'm in whether I like it or not, all right? Then the second thing is I change my action. Now, how can I get plugged in? How can I do it? And once we make that step, all the other ones will fall into place, okay? All the other ones will fall into place. Probably most of us in here know all the doctrine we'll ever need. I'm not going to encourage you. You, you. you hear me preach every week. I'm not going to encourage you to stop learning. But you probably need, you probably know already all that you need to know. If you're a believer, if you're in Christ, to, to lead someone to faith, 
to, to, I guarantee you everyone in here knows enough doctrine to invite someone to church. I guarantee you everyone in here knows enough uh, doctrine so you can give and serve. You know. You do. Everyone in here knows enough to do all of those things. And so now, look at the call. Here's the call. Here's the beauty of it. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, uh, picking up in verse 4 to 6, uh, he moved from talking uh, uh, really here, uh, he's talked to the church. In the first uh, uh, three verses, he's been talking to the church. Now he's going to talk about individual members in the church, and this is where we want to be careful. He says, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not sold their clothes. I love that idea. There's always a faithful few. There's always a faithful few, and there's always an unfaithful few. We've seen that in a couple of these, right? You're a great church, but there are a few. Uh, now he's talking about you're a dead church, but there are a few. And here he says, there are a few who have not soiled their clothes. Uh, they will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, listen to this, like them be dressed in white. And I will never blot out. Now, here it is. I want to read this carefully, and I want you to hear it. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. Now, I love those words. There are a few. That means even in this dead church, there are a few. There are a few that remain. And you know what? The, the, the truth is, that's probably the same with all the churches that we see around us. Even if they are dead, 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 there are probably a few that are faithful, that they're doing it with the right heart and the right way, and they're trying to do the best. There are a few. And guess what? In a church that is alive, there are a few that are dead. And you always want to be careful not to be. Love that idea. There are a few. Now, notice what it. He says, they walk with me. Remember I told you the what and the how a while ago? That's why, that's why I mentioned that, the, the Greek word earlier. He says, they walk with me. Unless you're sleepwalking, the idea of walking with Christ means I am taking action with Christ, right? That's what this church had stopped doing. They had stopped serving. They had stopped walking in Christ. They had stopped demonstrating a practical righteousness. They came to church. They sang songs. But when it came time to do anything else, they didn't walk with Christ. Well, you just think in the Gospels, what did Christ do? He fed the 5,000. He, uh, uh, he, he healed the blind, made the lame walk. He was constantly going to have uh, uh, dinner with the sinner, right? He was sharing his faith. He was chastising the Pharisees. That's what it means to walk with Christ. All of those things are going to be going on in our lives. He says they walk with me. We want to make sure that we walk with Christ. Now, I want you to know walking with Christ, again, is not just reading your Bible. That's primary and that's important. But walking with Christ is making sure the mission of the gospel is expanded. That's walking with Christ. Practical righteousness. Then notice what he says. He says, I will not erase his name from the book of life. Now that brings up a question, right? Uh, what about those who don't remain? Does God have an eraser? That's really what the question is. I mean, how, many, how many of you immediately went, okay, so he's not going to blot their name out. 
does that mean he will blot the other one's name out? Well, we know that there's a, the Lamb's book of life. Let me put it to you this way. He's not saying, remember real clearly, I want you to hear this. This passage does not say he's going to blot anybody's name. He just stated the positive. I will not blot their name out. And just because one thing is true doesn't mean the reverse is also true. Let me give you an example. How about the, how, many, how many of you would agree with this statement? All fathers are men. Okay, about eight of you are in. Have I lost you? That's a true statement, right? All fathers in. You would, we would all Okay, now Brian just showed up to the party. Brian, okay, I just pro, I Googled that. He's on to something. All right. Okay, all fathers are men, right? Let me reverse that. All men are fathers. No, the reverse is not true. That's exactly what he's doing here. He goes, here's what you know. If you stay faithful and you walk with me all the way to the end, I'm not going to blot your name out. All right? I'm not. But he's not necessarily saying, if you are a believer and you don't stay practically righteous with me, I will blot your name out. Saying it one way doesn't absolutely affirm the other way. Why? How do we know this? Because this is difficult to translate. Well, first of all, here's what you always want to do uh, if you want to write this down. If you ever come to an unclear passage, one of the first um, things that you want to do is look to a clear passage as it relates to that. Jesus is pretty clear. You, you take some passages, other scriptures, uh, John chapter 10, verse 28 and 29. Jesus said, I will give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Uh, no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. I'm in John chapter 10, verse 28 and 29. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So in John chapter 10, Jesus said, all that comes to me, I give them eternal life and no one's going to ever snatch them out of my hand. Not only can they not snatch them out of my hand, they can't snatch them out of my father's hand. That's a pretty clear passage that said, once you're saved, you're always saved. So if I go and I'm confused at all in Revelation chapter 3, I need to step back and say, okay, well, Jesus said here, I can't lose my salvation. So he probably is not saying here, you can lose your salvation. What Jesus is stating is the obvious, all right, that those who remain faithful really demonstrated they're part of me. What about Romans chapter 8? A very clear passage. Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, he says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels or demons, nor things present nor things in the future, nor powers, neither any, anything else, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. What is he saying? Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. So anytime I come to a passage and I think, well, does that mean that he can blot someone else? First of all, see what it actually says. It doesn't say he's going to blot them out. It just states the affirmative, those who are faithful demonstrate that they walk with me. So what I'm saying, that doesn't mean that everybody who goes to church and attends church is a Christian. But I will tell you, there's a much higher likelihood, and the percentage is far greater of those who attend and are faithful and serve God, of them being a Christian than the person that never shows up. Does that make sense? I think that's exactly what he's saying. Uh, let me give you a second thought. Uh, first of all, uh, we want to say whatever it means, we know it's not inconsistent with Scripture. Those Scriptures say. Uh, second thing you want, you want to say, uh, remember what it does not say. It does not say he's going to blot out believers if they don't start serving. 
Why is that? Well, is salvation ever a works-based salvation? Never was. It never makes sense to me when people say that you can be saved by faith, but you can lose your salvation by works. That makes no, that is an oxymoron. I was saved by faith because of God's grace, because I was completely unworthy. And then when I committed a sin and just demonstrated I was unworthy, I lost my salvation. That my friends, is an oxymoron. That doesn't make sense. That's a non sequitur. That doesn't lead down the right path. So it does not say he's going to eliminate believers or Christians. That's not what it says. Um, then notice what else he says, but acknowledge, listen, but will acknowledge that name, the name of the overcomer, before my Father who is in heaven. If you've got that, that word acknowledge, is the same Greek word, confession. I will confess them before my Father. That word confession, you've heard me share with it. If you were here for the Lord's Supper a couple of weeks ago, uh, I talked about that word confession. Uh, It simply means to agree with God about that which is sin. When I come and confess, a lot of times we think, well, you've got to stand up in front of people. No, no. Confession is simply agreeing with God. Yes, that was sin. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I acknowledge that that is sin in my life. Lacking confession means I cover it up. I say, that's okay. What I said to my wife was okay. That is not confession. Now, so what is Jesus saying? I am going to the one that overcomes, that stays faithful to the end, demonstrates their faith in me. I am going to agree with my Father at the end of the day that this is one of ours that this is one of ours. And I love that, and that's why he says, but we'll acknowledge. I won't blot them out. I will acknowledge them before the Father. Remember, that whole phrase is the positive, not the negative. That whole phrase is the positive, not the negative. The one who demonstrates in their faith and their walk and their love, not only the what, but the how, they're going to demonstrate that they are a believer in Jesus Christ, and they won't be blotted out. That's the positive. Doesn't say the negative. And he goes, and I will confess them before the Father. Then as you go down, notice his conclusion. He says, verse 6, um, Jesus closes with us. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. He who has an ear to hear today, listen, what does the Spirit say to the church? What is Christ saying to you today? Is Christ saying to you in your life, in your walk, that the reality of it is you have a reputation for being alive, But when we look at your practical righteousness, what you do today, you're dead. Jesus says, let us not be that way. Let's remember, let's repent, and let's go back and do those things we've done at first. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for these guys. Appreciate all that they do. Let us um, today um, be about your work. Let us wake up today. Let us be strengthened. Let us remember your call on our lives, God. Thank you for our time today to learn some of the what. But God, as we leave this room, let us be a part of the how. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Y'all have a great day, guys. Good seeing you.